0: Hello, hello, hello out there in podcast land, it's Eddie, your host for AC Speaks, where we're always epic, always empowering, preventing, innovating, and connecting our Arkansas communities. And I'm more than thrilled today to be introducing a new guest for our November episode. Everyone, let's virtually give it up for Cody. Hey, how how Cody. Are <laughs> hey, how are you? I'm doing fabulous. Can you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself?
1: Uh, My name is Cody or Cody Jane. Um, Some people know me as Christopher. That's my government name. Um, (laughs) I am 35. I don't look 35, but I feel it. Um, (laughs) um, I'm a graduate student at the University of Arkansas for Public Administration. trying to wrap that up. I'm actually, I was, well, I was born in Oklahoma, but I grew up in Louisiana around the Shreveport area. Um, I chose to attempt to go to college in New Orleans, but that was, that was the same year of Hurricane Katrina, so I actually, um, was, uh, I landed in Arkansas, you know, that blew me all the way here, <laughs> um, and I never went back, where well, I attempted to go back, but there was nothing, there was nothing to me, so I came back here to keep my, put myself through school and work, um, I'm a single cat dad, okay, <laughs> yes, <laughs> um, let's see, I'm, I'm a beekeeper, um, a writer, poet, and artist, um, all those types of things. Yeah. Ooh, God, do you do it. Oh, I love that I have okay. Yeah, for sure.
0: So a bit about what you do. We know you are with engaging artists of communities. Shout out to them. or us. So yeah. tell me a little bit about what you do for EAC.
1: Um, I first started out, it was doing a driving for the positive miles program, the transportation. Um, I still do that, um, but recently they, um, promoted me to community health worker. So, um, I'm trying to focus more on, like, developing community events, um, opportunities to engage people in testing and counseling, um educational stuff, of course, and then, yeah, just figuring out who our allies are or network is to, you know, go in and be able to talk about sexual wellness, um, so, so for me, my strategy has been, yeah, identifying who's, who's interested in the work, um, but maybe they don't, they don't know enough, maybe they're a little misguided and need some guidance, and then, um, then I identify people who yeah, they're all about it and they know they know what's up. Um, and they just needed that connection. and then um, there's also you know the people who um, I found they don't know what their connection is or they feel a disconnect. Um, so trying to find like common ground um, with those, those individuals or agencies. Um, so, so for example, we were at a, an event in Mountain Home. I was talking to an agency there and asking them, you know, did they ever talk about sexual wellness or anything with their clients and they said, well, we don't have a need for that. I so, said, well, has anybody ever asked for it? And they said, well, actually, no, they haven't. I said, well, do you think they might be interested in it? And the person had not say, you know what, actually, yes, please, come talk to us and we'll see what we can do there. Um, so oh, things like that, just figuring out where it makes sense to connect with people.
0: Um, Love that. And congratulations on your promotion. Thank you. So, tell me a little bit about how that kind of work coincides with your life mission. So, does that have, like, a personal connection to you?
1: Um, yes. I mean, um, I was, well, newly diagnosed about a year ago, um, with HIV. Um... And at the time, like, you know, I was aware of the community, but I wasn't, you know, necessarily plugged into that part of the community. And, uh, well, for me, it was kind of like, um, a, a survival mechanism or a move, um, because I knew I didn't have a network, I knew that I needed to find it. I needed to understand this life change and what was going on with me. Um, so I... At the time, you know, I was sick. Um, I wasn't able to keep up with the job I had at the time. Like, um, And that employer, they tried to work with me and everything. It just it wasn't feasible. You know what I'm saying? Um, so I had an opportunity to um, work with another agency who did focus on it, like advocacy for HIV, the HIV community. So I basically just threw myself into that as kind of a way to, you know, cope with things, um, so that's, it directly coincides with the work in my personal life, because it's, I mean, that they're directly related, I have to understand the condition I live with, you know what I'm saying, like, because in the beginning there was a lot of, um, that denial, this isn't a real thing, I'm not... I'm going to wake up tomorrow and this is not not this didn't happen you know what I'm saying I went through those things um, so I knew I had to plug in somewhere and I had already been doing um, activism and organizing around public health um, mm-hmm. especially with the LGBT community so it just, it just made sense to kind of shift the focus into this more specific scope of that work mm-hmm. if that made sense
0: yeah, I think that's some awesome work. So, have you found it to be kind of eye open for yourself, um, as well as for you being able to help others? Has it been able to help you?
1: Yes, um, helping others has been able to help me, um, especially with that that feeling of. Feeling alone, um, cause, well, I identify as a trans masculine person. Um, and as far as I know, I'm the only one living with HIV in Arkansas. That I, I mean, I know that's not true, but I don't know who those other people may be, so that can be kind of you know lonely at times. But I, I try to remember, that's not that's not an actual truth mm-hmm. because I have made connections with others. They're not necessarily here in Arkansas, but they're in other parts of the nation or the global uh, village, Um, if that makes sense at
0: all. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Um, I think that it's really important, like you said, to kind of have that representation. So I applaud you for openly serving your community, which in turn helps serve yourself because It is definitely hard to make connections in Arkansas with us being so spread apart. Mm -hmm. So it's a little more difficult to kind of find that But what I will say is, I know of a couple of folks. um, Maybe I can get you in contact with people, so that'll be really cool.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that'll be awesome.
0: (laughs) And I also saw that you're working on blogs for EAC. What kind
1: of blogs should we expect from you? I think my first one was more about. It was about uh, how people can best support persons that are newly diagnosed with HIV um because well in my experience a few few friends around me they had good intentions but it ended up being more of like them actually perpetuating some stigma um so those were like learning moments basically um there um (laughs) going That was
0: going Talking about support and how um, it's been different.
1: Could you uh, repeat the question? I'm sorry.
0: Yeah. So your first blog you were talking about is being. Oh a, yeah, yeah, yeah. How best
1: support them. and everything like that. My bad. Um, yeah, just offering tips and things like that. like I said, some people are well-intended, and then they get overzealous and. Maybe they out us, they, you know, that can be not good for some of us. Or maybe they think we want to do the labors of talking about the things because they're interested in. It. Maybe we don't have that labor or that capacity. And so, them being able to understand that and not assume what we want for support, but checking in with us to see what it is that's best. Because what it may look like for support for me might look different for you. Uh-huh. You know what I'm saying? Um, and then other blogs just um, that are coming. I think we've discussed like talking about my experiences as a trans person with HIV in the south. And, um, other, way, uh, other ways other ways encourage people to get involved, with, you know, knowing their status and talking, talking to others. Um, About yeah, wanting to be engaged in sexual wellness. Why it's important. That's awesome.
0: So you can also check out the blogs on engaging Arkansas. I'm super excited to check out those um, blogs. But um, in the meantime, can you tell me? Now you did mention that support looks different, which is really the truth. Because one, like you said, one thing for me for support may be different than what you may need. But tell me, what is one piece of advice that you've given folks um, as a counselor, as a community health worker, when they're newly diagnosed with HIV?
1: When they're newly diagnosed, the advice I give, um, well, really, it's the thing that we have to do that we forget to do, which is literally taking it as a day at a time because um from my experience and what others told me when I first was diagnosed there was a lot of information overload thrown at me you know about you got to do this you got to go over here you got to get on this medication now you gotta you know what I'm saying there was Mm -hmm. I was given the diagnosis and then all that stuff was thrown at me so fast it was like I need to slow down a minute because at first I need to process the fact that you just told me I was positive for HIV Mm -hmm. Um, but you're already down the road trying to get me linked into this person to give me this medication that I I don't even know what it is or understand it but you're telling me I I need to be on it right away right now you know what I'm saying Mm -hmm. Um, so for other persons my advice um, for them which is what I had to take for myself is, well, first of all, you're not alone because you feel alone. You think, oh, shit, I'm in this by myself. I don't know anybody. They're throwing all this info at me. I don't don't know what to do next. Um, For me, it was finding, yes, other agencies or communities um, specific for persons living with HIV and AIDS so that I can find my peers connect to those resources, and then really go into, because I went to one agency, and I sat in there, and I said, look, they've thrown all this info, information at me, can, can you walk me through what your experience was, which it was similar, and we were able to sit there, and that set out those experiences, and that made me feel so much better, because again, it was so much information overload. I haven't even accepted the diagnosis that you've given me. You're wanting me to consume all this information and understand it and get into care and you know, saying I I don't even know where to go for care. Like my peers had to my peers had to get me connected to those things and follow up with it and make sure that I stayed in care. So I would encourage a person to seek seek the peer network because it's there. It is there. We just have to find it if that makes sense at all. Yeah,
0: I think that support really means a lot for folks um, newly diagnosed because, like you mentioned, if there is an information overload, there's an emotions yes. overload, and it can get difficult to really get the point across. So that's really good advice. Take it one day at a time. For providers, don't give an emotion or... Um, information overload because at that point people just need to be able to what's actually happening and so we do a cookie cutter model of um HIV outreach and so I think by saying you have you have some folks who will be ready to hear about treatment immediately but you have to be able to tailor your messaging for that person so that's some great advice Cody
1: right and then um the other thing I try to talk to the person about in the council, if I'm desperately able to counsel with them for quite some time um, is reminding them that HIV is a a chronic manageable disease Um, you know that part is actually uh, the no brainer part for me it's the stigma part that's going to be the struggle Mm -hmm. Um, so I try to Give that perspective that for me living living with the chronic disease hasn't been so much the issue as dealing with the stigma of living. <laughs> if that makes sense, like yeah, chronic disease totally manageable. Take a pill once a day. Do a lab three times or three every three months. That's that's nothing. That's things. That's routine. The stigma part is. You know where all the energy comes in having to deal with that doing the labor mm-hmm. considering your safety you know and things like that especially if you aren't visible about your status
0: yeah so what are some of the things that you think we have to do to tackle stigma because we know it's very prevalent in arkansas um well for
1: me because i've well for me, I have a vested interest in it um, from the jump on all of that, um, especially when I first got into the work with another agency, um, they had some grant money from the ending the HIV epidemic. So part of it was us going into like the south uh, I think the southeastern western part of the state um, to see like what what was there, what resources were there. so, for me, it made logical sense to investigate what the state had already invested in for their infrastructure, which was put in the county health unit in each county in Arkansas. So we have 75 units, and in theory, they're supposed to be educated on um, an in epidemic initiative. They're supposed to be able to counsel you on STIs, STDs, HIV. You're supposed to have tools there. Um, For you to, you know, safe sex things like that, prep. Um, most of those units I went to, they had never heard of the uh, in the ep- epidemic, um, which was concerning since, you know, they're part of the health department, our state health department. Um, and no shade to those frontline workers, they wanted that information when we showed up. They wanted to know about it. They just didn't they didn't have those opportunities, or they haven't, and even when we made suggestions back to ADH about, you know, some in-service training or some periodic training in the clinics, the other flip of that coin was those clinics were also under stats, so uh, how do you expect the one or two workers out there in the clinic to try to attend to everybody, then also attend the training to learn about these things that they... You know, you guys should have been giving them supportive tools from the, from the beginning of the rollout of that federal initiative into the state. You know what I'm saying? So, um, having our state been able to invest in that um, infrastructure would definitely help. Mm-hmm. Um, I've attempted to talk to different legislators in our legislative body. Again, they've never heard of any of the epidemic. Um, some were receptive they wanted to know about it um, I attempted to talk to those legislators about what they knew about like the laws that we have here on the books that criminalize people living with HIV they some were like that's still the thing so the problem is um, we're not an educated public and our state isn't invested in educating us on our public health um, the public health in general let alone HIV, STD, and STI prevention. Um, And I mean, I could keep going about it. We could go look at their um, state budget. The line item for public health is a dismal number. And as far as I know, none of those dollars are dedicated to HIV prevention. Any dollar here is a federal dollar. So the message that that is sending to constituents, the people, and the citizens of Arkansas is that our state is not invested in our our public health therefore we are not being given the tools and information to inform ourselves and protect ourselves um, and so that's the problem there that's one of the problems there in yeah. my opinion
0: I think that goes to show a lot about like you said how much we care about the constituents because if the budget doesn't put it in place. We have to rely on federal funding. And even in Arkansas, even when we think about ending the HIV epidemic initiative is given to the state and not necessarily like, you know, the different jurisdictions. And what we've seen across the state is that a lot of times resources are given in certain parts of the state and certain in other areas are receiving less and less services. So I think we have to find a way to kind of diversify what we're actually putting out there because I've had a really different kind of experience with an HIV epidemic because I served on it for Tennessee and it was difficult to get the message across. And we were only in one county. So I can only imagine having to spread that information across
1: 75 right. different the counties. Right, and as on my observations and experiences dealing with the state agency, there's, yeah, there's no consistent plan that makes sense to roll out what that that federal initiative was about. There was no, yeah, no, no consistent rollout plan to educate these frontline workers so that they could Better connect with the public, and especially with people seeking those services. Because I, I literally went in clinics where they were—they'd never heard of a home test. Where they said, "Oh, if somebody comes in here asking about HIV, we just send them to Little Rock. We don't even do that here." But yet, you're supposed—you're saying you have that capability. The state is saying that you do have that capability, but in reality, you don't. And it's because they—they've not invested in giving those tools to them.
0: We have a long way to go in Arkansas, but um, what do you think are some ways that folks can get involved in advocacy? I see well, I hear you're on the ground and going to the legislators and going to the different health departments. What are some other ways that folks can get involved in advocacy?
1: Um... I know there's a lot of misconceptions and myths and misinformation myth out there. I think if a person was really wanting to generally be involved, they would want to probably start with figuring out, oh, hey, what is it do I actually know about HIV? Maybe, and then looking into, you know, resources, you know, such as HIV.gov, th- things that can get them up to date on. You know that type of information, and I believe HIV.gov holds a lot of tools on there for um, how a person can bring up the conversation with others, how to talk about it in a, like a non-stigmatizing way. Um, again, I firmly believe, like like especially loved ones, because I have loved ones around me. They, I prefer them checking in with me to say, "What is it I can best support? Do to support you." And I can kind of direct them to like hey you know I'm aware that okay for example EAC we might need a couple of volunteer drivers that's the best way you can help us right now and, you know mm-hmm. just being available to take people to our appointments um I just as far I don't think there's a blanket answer for it mm-hmm. other than wanting to have the genuine interest to learn knowing you don't know everything And that probably all that you've been exposed to about HIV is attached to some type of stigma um, that you'd have to unlearn and relearn, if that made sense. Um, Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, I think you made a great point. Um, (laughs) Made a great point to say folks can get involved in any way that they know how. So you don't have to be a full on expert out here counseling people. or you don't have to run an organization. Like you said, you can be a driver, you can talk to your friends, talk to your family. There's different ways to be an advocate, but also shout out to HIV.gov because I used to be one of my old jobs. I I helped kind of develop some of those resources, so it's good to know people are using them, thankfully.
1: Yes, HIV.gov is definitely a good... uh, I use it a lot, and that's where I direct people because then it... It also leads you off to other resources um, from there Um, and then again it's realizing your capacity especially in um, our quest for you know mutual liberation and and, um, organizing and activism it's also knowing what your place is and being okay with it because sometimes all of us want to do all the things but we simply can't like you're maybe your role is literally donating being a monthly donor maybe that's your capacity that's what you can offer and uh we all know that direct donations putting the money in the hands of the org. that's (laughs) definitely going to impact like the programming and uh, outreach that we're trying to do you know what i'm saying so Mm -hmm. yeah you don't have to be out here in the streets uh you know (laughs) protesting, uh, unless you want to and that's your capacity. Um, it, yeah, it could be as simple as making a donation or even just affirming people. Affirming yeah. the people around you that you know are in that community or may not have a lot of support. Literally just checking in with them would mean the world to that person. It could mean uh, the difference to them. You know, especially if there's someone struggling with self-worth. Um, a reason to stay alive. You know what I mean? Yeah. You can really impact people in those ways. And I think
0: that is something that is really important because the impact matters when we do make any type of move. So even if it's as simple as sharing our Facebook posts or something as small as that, the impact of it goes beyond what you believe in your own one perspective, because you can reach so many more people through the smallest things. Like you said, making a donation. It may seem minimal to you, but a donation goes a long way, or um, any type of service that you can offer. A chef, maybe, think, hey, look, you know, maybe I can donate some recipes, or whatever your capacity is. Being able to say, what can you do in your cause? So I love that, Cody, thank you for that sure and one other thing that I you mentioned like getting involved in a lot of things but it's really important for us as our Kansans to work on like federal and national projects that I read about you with the transgender law centers trans initiative can you tell me a little bit about that yeah
1: let me bring that up here um so it's a, a cohort I actually joined back and in, they invited me in January. Uh Hiomi Lucky, she's um a trans woman here in, uh, based in Little Rock as well. Um a person with HIV advocate um visible advocates. So she's our leader, careless <laughs> leader. But yes, it's a project under the Trans Law Center. Um it's led by Trans Women of Color and with HIV. Um, We're kind of spread out over the nation. Um, Some of us, I know at least one of us is out in Hawaii. We got some on the east and west coast, a few of us here in the south. Um, And we basically, all of us are involved in different projects, but they're basically based around like um, community driven research projects, um, like doing needs assessments in certain parts of the community like um, I'm looking here they did one in Detroit um, one in New Orleans recently South Florida um, just to assess needs of you know trans people living with HIV in those areas and then try to figure out you know how to you know get resources there um, we're involved in leadership development we generally get some professional development opportunities so for example I got the opportunity to apply for the uh, it was the Cero Justice Institute project, so I'm a 12 month fellowship with them, um, where they're basically teaching us strategies about yes, how to engage with the legislature in our state um, to advocate for like policy changes, um, and then we in, we do storytelling um, where we get people to make videos just to talk about you know their narratives and experiences. Of, uh, someone living with HIV um, as a trans person Uh, so we do just just a little bit of everything in those those realms um yeah
0: that's amazing I think it's really great to have initiatives like that to kind of like we said earlier spread the message so that way we can come back home and do the work so I shout out to the national initiatives like the Trans Law Center's Public Trans, as well as some of the others that we work with. So, tell me what um, what kind of policy work are you doing, or are you interested in?
1: Um, I'm not. I'm not necessarily doing any right now. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, but I am interested in. Um. Yes, addressing the laws that are, are here in Arkansas that um, have criminalized persons living with HIV, because um, you know, even even if you're uh, well, and it shouldn't matter if you're on detective or not, and you inform someone, we still we still are subject to scrutiny, jail time, possible sex offender status. You know what I'm saying? Like even if you did cover all your bases and had proof that you inform somebody you're still may go through those experiences of the police interaction the incarceration experience having it. you know defend yourself like that's still gonna happen you know what I mean Mm, um so I'm interested in how we can do away with those laws repeal them um I'm also interested because harm reduction is a part of you know, the federal initiative for uh, ending HIV. Um, and here, I do believe it's not, it's... Um, and you may have to fact check me on that one, but um, needle sharing here, I believe, is a felony. Needle, so they don't do needle share exchange programs here, or not at least not legally. Mm-hmm. Um, and so a lot of... A lot of that is gray area dealing with harm reduction, especially with, um, within the substance community, people sobriety community. Because um, there's some laws there that are just, in my opinion, would get a lot of um, people in trouble or a lot of vulnerable people that are already vulnerable trying to do good work. It would it would impact their life in a negative way. Um, so I'm interested in seeing how we could like, either repeal those or do away with those. Um, I, I have a comrade in Louisiana, she spent a couple years, she was able to get the, their laws there changed to where it's, that's not a thing anymore. Mm-hmm. So I'm hoping to work with her here to see what we can do. Um, and these aren't overnight processes, it's going to take a year or two, three, four, five maybe to see those things change or go away. And, um, so that's what I'm interested in um, and I've been exposed to different like legal advocacy workshops and fellowships um, I'm aware it's, those processes can be tedious especially mm-hmm. with like the verbiage and language, le- the legal language in those statutes it could actually come back to bite us in the butt <laughs> mm-hmm. if, if it's not Worded correctly, or say someone that's not wanting us to be successful is at trying to introduce language in there that would actually be more harmful. So it's, I'm interested in tackling those things, and I know they are not going to be easy, and it's not going to happen overnight. But for me, being able to change those those legal landscapes would change the game for people that our community in Arkansas. I mean we're literally criminalized just for having HIV. Like you see what I'm saying? Like (laughs) you're literally criminalized for living with HIV. That shouldn't be we shouldn't live in that type of fear.
0: Right. It doesn't give us any type of quality of life. So by being these laws, you're actually adding to the stigma and the laws are antiquated. And so even with the harm reduction, I think it is really important. That we have these conversations because if it's criminalized people won't want to come and get the services that they need to help them live a healthy life and we already see that our legislators don't put us in public health so we have to be able to find the ways to get folks who make the laws and who do policy writing and all of that and get involved in the process so it does take a while um, yes, and sure. shameless plug we will be having someone who do, did some advocacy work in Virginia so that may be another good person yes. to kind of like get the to join forces with for so sure. we, we're doing some stuff in Arkansas I'm about it <laughs> me too um, one thing I'm also excited about is seeing the space that's been made for trans masculine folks now, we got a long, long, long way to go, but um, why do you think it's important that we make space for uh, populations that may not be considered most um, behaviorally vulnerable to
1: HIV? Um, this question, and I might be all over the place because <laughs> I have a lot of feelings about it. Okay. Um, because in my experience, or what it seems like, there's always, uh, and I, you know, I went to these little sessions where they talk about the different medications and stuff like that, and the studies they do. And it always, there's always some little note where it says we don't have enough data on like trans men, or you know, we're not sure if this, you know, translates over into this population. Mm-hmm. Um, And I had always wondered about that, and I I actually attended a workshop at the International AIDS Conference um, this year, I believe it was in Montreal, and that was my question. I was like, you know, we have, why is that? Why are they saying there's no research, there's no data, you know, CDC, whoever, they always say there's not enough, Um, and there were some points brought up in there about, um how we code the data buckets so trans men are literally lumped in with women so the data is there it's just not being differentiated to the experience of the person wow. um and it's co- sort of like with trans women they're lamp- lumped in with uh msm um, the that yeah. and those are trans they're trans women um but the what I think people miss is the nuance there about the how trans and queer bodies experience sexual experiences that are not—they're not going to mirror necessarily the what we consider a mainstream, uh, you know, homosexual experience or heterosexual experience. Mm-hmm. So that that nuance is lost in that data collection. Um, I don't know if that makes sense. So, for example, (laughs) recently I was looking at some paperwork between me and a partner and so they've labeled our behavior as heterosexual, but um, we're both masculine people and I I personally don't consider the ways that we engage to be heterosexual acts. Does that make sense? So it comes down to the way that the data buckets are defined, how the putting persons into those buckets once they collect the data. Um, and it's all it's to me there's some nuance there that has to be built out to be able to capture those experiences in a, in, a, in a more accurate way than to lump them into either men sleeping with men or women sleeping with women or women sleeping with men or persons identified as women sleeping with men, a man or a woman. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense at all,
0: yeah, the data has to match what people are actually doing. <laughs> like right. you said, there is a lot more um, space to grow in for data. And it has been a constant battle for decades of trying to get people to understand. You know, it, it's 2022 now, folks. So there is there are different ways that people interact with folks, whether that's sexually, platonically, or whatever they're doing. so we have to be able to think about that and actually have space so when we're doing intake forms so if you're an organization out there you're listening when you're doing intake forms think about what questions you're asking is it stigmatizing folks is it leaving folks out and actually be intentional about understanding who the person is sitting in front of you because you may be in rural arkansas but you may have somebody like Cody, like Eddie come in the room, and you may not know how to deal with them, but you have to be able to at least be a resource. So be intentional about what you're looking for and what you're asking and how we can actually be um, allies and fighting, even if we're not a part of that population.
1: Right. Um, and then, again, back to that, like I said, I'm not a scientist. I... I do have a vested interest in data and statistics, and, but I'm not a scientist. Um, and I've been tempted to engage with researchers and scientists to ask, you know, well, why don't you guys develop these buckets? And it's always some pushback uh, again about how. They've built their systems and data buckets around what they consider typical heterosexual or homosexual behavior, and they, they, they those processes haven't literally have not caught up to um, be able to accurately capture the experience of someone who may not identify as male or female. So, if you so if your organization does have a form and you that person says non-binary. Um, And you're sending that info, say, to the CDC. Well, their processes does not include anything for that. So they're going to code that person as either male or female within their own data. Does that make sense at all? So the data's there, but it's not being represented accurately.
0: Yeah, and I think that's just one kind of step, to, And it's really about getting the, I guess, the machine to catch up. Yes. so, we do a lot of advocating to like CDC and HRSA. And we started to see a little change, but I think they kind of got a little complacent where they
1: were. Uh, oh, for sure. Yes. And so, yeah, <laughs> <need> that's more. <laughs> and so, yeah, trans people have been, that's why they've been on them to try to, you know, include us in those processes and practices and how best to better reflect that data um, across the board. Um, Because, yeah, it just blew me away when I stood up and said, I don't understand why these graphs are showing um, information for trans women. Um, Y'all have also broke down MSM separate from trans women. Thank God in this presentation. but Then there's nothing for trans masculine. And that's when they had to say, well, we code those persons who identify themselves as trans masculine. In the end, when we're doing the final compilation of the data, they go into the bucket uh, as female mm-hmm. and so yeah that's that's a problem <laughs> that's mm-hmm. not accurate representation of the data you know what right.
0: I'm saying um, absolutely and uh, this month is November so we're talking about the issues that the transgender population faces but I also wanted to take some time to think about um, transgender awareness week and also to um, identify not identify but commemorate the Transgender Day of Remembrance. So if folks don't know, the Day of Remembrance was started back in 99 by advocate Gwendolyn Smith to honor the memory of Rita Hester, who was killed in 1998. And there was a lot of violence around that. And Transgender people have also seen violence for decades as well, but this day is to commemorate their lives and also to um, talk about the issues that people face of the trans experience. So why do you think it's important that we should talk about Transgender Day of Remembrance on a large scale?
1: Um. Well, for one, it is a day we've set aside to observe, you know, people lost in our community. Um, you know, just like with other, I mean, we just had veterans. Was it Veterans Day? We have a Memorial Day where we, we set aside time to honor those persons from those communities. So that's, if a person was trying to relate, we, we already do these things for other subgroups, right? Um, so just allow, having that space to be able to recall, you know, people that came before us, pioneers that we've lost. Um, that's a sacred thing um, another reason it's important um, some people actually re- refer to it as trans day of resilience because um, often we're reduced to the trauma porn or the trauma of the trans experience mm-hmm. when we're so much more than that like sure we experience trauma that's related to our experience but that's that's not all um mm-hmm. So I think it's important to, because yeah, I've been to some events and spaces where yes, we set aside time for a mourning period, but then another part of the event was celebrating the resilience of those of us still here, and how can we remain resilient and carry that forward into the new year, whatever whatever um, movement we're going towards. Mm-hmm. Uh,
0: I love that day of resilience because I've hosted a few events for TDR and it is really important to commemorate and remember those lives, but I like to leave with, like you said, some sort of message of resilience, whether it's to people who are not of the trans experience, to give them a call to action to say, open your, um, eyes open your pockets as well (laughs) but open your awareness to these uh, organizations to the struggles that people have faced and for my trans brothers and sisters and those who do not identify as either I really like to give them a message of not like have to have some type of hope but just to know that we are here with you that really gives me a sense of ease to know that Other folks are around me when I may be at my weakest or my highest. So, having that space to say, I'm with you through whatever it is, I like that resilience piece. So, I'm going to, you know, maybe try to make some people work on that. For sure. (laughs) (laughs) So, Cody, we're coming to the end of the episode but i have a million more questions so we're gonna have to have a maybe a episode two or something
1: <laughs> for sure i love that but let's um let's see how can you want to get in contact with me um well they can reach me at my work email which is codyjane at in um or my work phone is 501-993-0505 Those are the two quickest ways to get in touch with me.
0: That's uh, awesome. Yeah. And do you have like any like last minute remark want to leave the people with this time?
1: <laughs> um well for people that are newly diagnosed with HIV or people that are maybe afraid to engage in that care um, I would want to say to them I'm proud of them for considering it uh, getting into care or remaining in care and wanting to take charge of sexual wellness that's a very stigmatized subject so it takes a lot it takes a lot to say hey I'm I'm gonna participate in this thing um, for people who are who are impacted by HIV you know you have loved ones that live with that I would say again good intentions though that's the path to hell so if you're wanting to understand that loved one or how to support them check in with them literally say what is it I can do to support you and then do that thing um, yeah And then again, I just, again, I have to remind people HIV, that's a chronic manageable disease. The worst part of my experience is the literal stigma that I face when people realize I have HIV or I, you know, reveal that. Um, It's that stigma, uh, that stigma that will get me killed and get my comrades killed who also live with HIV. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, I have definitely enjoyed this episode. I hope the listeners have too. I know they've gotten as many nuggets as I have. So thank you again, Cody. Please, if you do want to reach out to Cody, you can have his email, his work number. All you got to do is rewind. Don't be lazy. Rewind. And you can get that information. Again, thank you a million times, Cody, for joining me on EAC Speaks. And remember, check out Engaging Arkansas to check out other podcasts that we have as well as uh, making donations and finding out services that EAC offers in the Arkansas communities and don't forget if you want to be a guest on EAC Speaks you can email us at info at engagingarkansas.org
1: next time ciao thank you The EAC Speaks podcast is partially supported by the Arkansas Department of Health through a grant funded in part by the CDC. All discussion is solely the responsibility of each participant and doesn't necessarily represent the official views of engaging Arkansas communities, the Arkansas Department of Health, CDC, or the U.S. government.